0: Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say that we are only mildly entertaining. I say that we are exactly where we are supposed to be talking about yet another Super Bowl on the Caper of the Games podcast, episode number 110. I am Blake Cripps, joined by Thomas Caster, CogSports.com, CogPod on Twitter, CogPod.podomatic.com, the videos on YouTube, or our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Keeper of the Games. Tommy, this special moment in the life of being a Chiefs fan continues. The Kansas City Chiefs are back in the biggest spectacle in maybe not North American sports, maybe in all of sports. And the Chiefs are back for the third time in the short career of Patrick
1: Mahomes. Yeah, I was thinking about the Super Bowl trip. In the context of this podcast, we launched Keeper of the Games (laughs) like a month after the Chiefs won their Super Bowl in, what, February of 2020? Like it was right after they were crowned Super Bowl champions. So we didn't cover that game We covered the game the next year when they lost to the Buccaneers. Yeah, we did. And then they didn't make it to the Super Bowl last year. So I'm really crossing my fingers holding out that we will get to talk for the first time ever on this podcast about a winning Super Bowl team, the Kansas City Chiefs.
0: Uh, We have got a lot to get to on the show today. Here's how it's all going to run down. For today, we've got all the college basketball that you can want with uh, Wichita State men's basketball, KU, Kansas State, going to get to all of that. Next week, if we are here, it means that your Chiefs have won the Super Bowl. So we'll be back next week. If the Chiefs lose, we'll just continue on our normal cadence of every other week. Um, So if we are here next week, then we'll go ahead and just get on a new cadence until the NCAA tournament, in which case we're probably going to be going week by week with uh, – Tommy, we may be going week by week with like two different teams at that point. Yeah. Because yeah, it, sure. it, it seems to me like Kansas State and KU have both have the capability of making a deep run in March. So it won't just be KU every week. We're probably going to cover KU and Kansas State. But um, we go back now to the AFC Championship game. Of course, the Eagles blew out the 49ers in the NFC game thanks to some big-time quarterback injuries for the Niners. The Kansas City Chiefs had to hold on a little bit Uh, Life was made interesting a little bit by the Bengals, but a 23-20 win for the Kansas City Chiefs to go to 16-3, exercising the demons of Joe Burrow. No such thing as Burrowhead, uh, as uh, so eloquently put, much more eloquently put by Travis Kelsey than me. And, you know, we talked a lot about what was going to have to happen in this game for the Chiefs to win. And one of the things that I talked about was the fact that The Chiefs' defense needed to win the battle with Cincinnati's offensive line, and they did five sacks in the game. And the other thing I talked about was the fact that Cincinnati may have the advantage at quarterback. A healthy Joe Burrow, better than an injured Patrick Mahomes. As it turned out, I'm not so sure that was the case. Burrow goes for 270, one touchdown, two picks for Patrick Mahomes. He limps. He gimps, but somehow he succeeds. 29 for 43, 326, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and uh, maybe an injured Patrick Mahomes really is the second-best quarterback in the NFL.
1: Yeah, make no mistake about it. The Kansas City defense won that game. Uh, They came out with their hair on fire, uh, and they were able to get to Joe Burrow multiple times early. It set the tone for the entire game, and whether you're talking about Frank Clark or Chris Jones, who finally got his first playoff sack and then his second right after that. <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, whether we're talking about George Karloftis, uh, there were multiple players on that defensive unit. Uh, the front four, the, the edge rushers, they were basically able to have their way with the offensive line for Cincinnati early on. And they, I think they were feeding off of the energy of Arrowhead for sure. Uh, but the, the defense, who has been much maligned this season, whom we have questioned at times throughout the course of this season, they won that game for the Kansas City Chiefs. Looking at Patrick Mahomes, it was an incredibly valiant effort from Patrick Mahomes. Gutsy. If you look at his if you look at his stat line though, uh I think it would lead if you didn't watch the game and just saw his stat line, it would lead you to lead you to believe that it was vintage Patrick Mahomes and that he looked great. And honestly, I don't really think he did, but he didn't have to. I mean, he was no, pretty injured. good. He was good, but there were... He made some good throws. Credit, he did, but credit to Cincinnati's defense and Lou Anarumo uh, because they they took a lot away from Patrick Mahomes. The injuries at the wide receiver position didn't help matters for Mahomes, but especially in the second half when Cincinnati got back into the game, uh, they limited what Kansas City could do. There were a couple of three and outs, and it seemed like especially in the second half, there were a ton of passes that were just dump-offs to running backs, uh, but it worked, and and they did what they needed to do to get the job done. So despite an effort from Patrick Mahomes where he was hobbling around late in the game and it, you know, you could definitely tell he was hurting and there were other players on both sides of the ball, Juju Smith-Schuster, Kadarius Tony, McCole Hardman, Willie Gay Jr., Legereus Sneed, dropping like flies with the injury bug throughout that that game. It was a total team effort. Defense led it. I thought special teams played great. But overall, it was everything that we had wanted to see from Kansas City as far as a complete unit being able to get the job done.
0: The thing that I was perplexed by is you look at the, you know, inside the stats, the defense somehow got negative four points expected, which would suggest that they didn't play well, which I don't really get. The one thing that was, I thought, even maybe more impressive than what they did to Joe Burrow was the fact that they had shut down. Samaje Piran and Joe Mixon did practically nothing. The Chiefs won the game on the ground. And I don't know if maybe they would go back and do it over again. Maybe you try to run the ball more than 17 times when you've had two guys in the past few weeks who have gone for over 100 yards. Maybe the Chiefs took that away. Whatever it was, I don't know. I won't speak to the Cincinnati game plan versus how the Chiefs executed. But at the end of the day, Cincinnati ran the ball 17 times for 71 yards, and they did get one touchdown. But I thought that the Chiefs' run defense was incredible. The other thing, too, is that the Chiefs, you know, we thought, okay, without Patrick Mahomes being at 100%, they're going to have to get more out of the ground game. They're going to need to get more out of Pacheco. And Pacheco just wasn't very good on the ground. 10 carries 26 yards. McCole Hardman had two for seven. Jerick McKinnon did zero with his four attempts. That didn't mean that Pacheco wasn't valuable. He had a couple of big catches. He averaged over, you know, about 10, 10, 11 yards per catch. So that was fantastic to see for Pacheco to go five for 59. But the fact that Mahomes was able to do all of that without the running game and the Chiefs were able to slow down the Bengals running game, I thought two huge factors in this
1: one. Yeah, I think for Cincinnati, uh, you know, they wanted to ride with their one-two-three punch of Jamar Chase and, why not? and Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. And and I get it. And there were a couple of throws that Joe Burrow made and a couple of catches that uh, T. Higgins and Jamar Chase made that Unbelievable. were brilliant. Uh, where, where the Chiefs secondary had no chance to defend that. Uh, so th- I think they wanted to ride with that. But you're right. I mean, I think that Kansas City did a good job defensively stopping the run because Joe Mixon and Samajé Ryan can run all over you. Um, you know, especially when team sell out to the pass. When they try to defend Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins and really lock down on them, then you don't have enough personnel to stop the running game. And so uh, it looked like Steve Spagnola gambled a little bit in maybe not selling out to the pass quite as much. I mean, there were times that he was throwing some blitzes that, you know, they were able to get to Joe Burrow, but if they didn't get to Joe Burrow, they'd Probably would have gotten huge gains with passes to those big-time wide receivers. But, you know, credit to the the timing of those blitzes and the speed of the Kansas City defense being able to get to Joe Burrow in quick time and at least throwing him off his game. But you're right. I mean, and as far as the Kansas City run game is concerned, I really was surprised that they weren't able to get anything going on the ground it was great that you know pacheco we had never really seen isaiah pacheco catch passes out of the backfield we know he can do it now um so it's not just a Jarek mckinnon thing so we know that pacheco can do it that's good um but i was i was disappointed that they couldn't open it up a little bit more on the ground and i thought they were gonna have to with mahomes limited you would think a little bit and you know with the fact that so many wide receivers were getting injured it just they could never really get it established We move on now to the Philadelphia Eagles coming in at 16 and three.
0: Identical record to the Chiefs. Believe it or not, both teams have never trailed in the postseason thus far. Obviously, we're expecting that this is not going to end in a tie at Super Bowl Sunday and that one of these two teams is going to have to take a lead. And the Philadelphia Eagles in the playoffs have been very dominant. They dominated the New York Giants in the divisional round, 38-7. They blew out the San Francisco 49ers. 31-7, Thirty-one to seven, and the conference championship. There are a smattering of players that are still around from that 2017 Super Bowl championship for Philadelphia, which was obviously a long time coming coming for the desperate. Eagles fans that were out there, uh, but this is a team that kind of limped into the finish in the regular season. They gave up 40 points to Dallas and lost to the Cowboys 40 to 31, didn't play very well at all against the Saints, and then just kind of had to squeak by the Giants last week of the regular season 22 16. Now they came out obviously playing them consecutive games, not consecutive weeks. The Giants had to play an extra game while the Eagles had a bye, but they certainly showed their superiority over the New York Giants with one of their best offensive performances of the season with 416 yards and uh, then I very comfortable win over the 49er team that after they had the injuries you just never really thought that there was ever going to be a doubt that you just didn't really even see a way that even if there were a couple of turnovers that there was just no way for the Eagles to lose that game. And so now we look ahead to the Eagles and the Chiefs. What
1: stands out to you about this Eagle team, Tommy? Well, I have a really hard time figuring out exactly what the game plan is for success for both teams for that matter. I mean I I, I think that they're they're so different and Kansas City hasn't really played a team. Quite like the Eagles this year, but the Eagles haven't really played a team quite like Kansas City. So that's what makes it so intriguing. Um, you know, I've I've been thinking for quite a while about how do you best defend against Jalen Hurts, um, who is a dynamic quarterback, can beat you with his legs, and he has, you know, some really high quality receivers in AJ Brown and Devontae Smith. Um, not unlike what the Bengals have. Now, Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts couldn't be any more different as far as they play quarterback, but you know, is the best way to combat Jalen Hurts by trying to contain him in the pocket uh, and make him drop back and be a pocket passer? Uh, does he have the accuracy to be able to hit those re- receivers in stride? Um, it seems like a lot of times Jalen uh, Hurts has a lot more success out-of-the-pocket improvising and trying to hit his receivers in stride on the run uh, when he's out of the pocket. So I don't know if that's the way to to defend them, but they also have guys like Miles Sanders and Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott that can run the ball pretty effectively too. So I go back and forth on what the best way to defend the the Eagles' offense is, but for Kansas City on the offensive side of the ball, I think, again, you have to establish the run game. Philadelphia, does not have a great run defense. They're middle of the road. They have improved the second half of the season, but be, before that, they were an utter disaster stopping the run. And Kansas City, we've seen the emergence of Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon. Clyde edwards Lair has been activated. I don't know if he will have a role in the Super Bowl or not, but I think that with all of that, you've got to have a little bit more reliance on the run game, uh, and then making sure one thing that Philly does really well defensively is defend the tight ends. So if there's a way that you can get Travis Kelsey free, great, but I also think you need to look at guys, assuming they're healthy, like Kadarius Tony and Juju Smith-Schuster. Patrick Mahomes and
0: Jarek McKinnon, along with Isaiah Pacheco, on the injury report offensively were listed as full participants for Week 22. Uh, Trey Smith at guard, also a full participant. Justin Watson. However, in terms of the other guys on the injury report for Kansas City, and this was updated as of the 3rd of of February, uh, Willie Gay Jr. listed as being limited in practice this week. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster did not practice. practice. Legere Sneed was a DNP with that concussion, so Sneed likely going to be out, and Tony a DNP with an ankle injury. The thing that you look at with this Eagles team is the fact that they have been very, very good at blitzing the quarterback. And so I think for Patrick Mahomes, it's going to be kind of similar to what you would think that the Bengals would have tried to do against the Chiefs last week, which was get the ball out of Burrow's hands early. How healthy will Mahomes be? Typically, these high ankle sprains, I heard from guys as they were previewing the AFC Championship game, oh, I've known a guy that had an AFC injury and he was out for a month and another guy like he was out for like six months and he couldn't even put weight on. He was on crutches and they were just amazed that Patrick Mahomes was actually playing on it and going to give it a go. So this is not necessarily a thing where for Patrick Mahomes, it's just going to heal up and we should expect a 100% Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Obviously, the two weeks is going to be absolutely critical to get better and he should be more comfortable the fact that he played so well on it last week is certainly great but I think that Isaiah Pacheco is a target if you are Philadelphia and you cover tight ends really well you have an injured Patrick Mahomes and you believe in your pass rush which we believe that they do if you have to pick your poison don't you pick Isaiah Pacheco? Don't you say, okay, rookie, let's see if you can run yeah. through us. Let's see if you can do enough damage out of the backfield. We're going to make you and a, you know possibly not 100% Jarek McKinnon. That's what we're going to give up. What you're not going to give up is these guys going down the field like Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and guys like Sky Moore, and obviously Travis Kelsey. That, we're not giving that up. You want to beat us going three yards, five yards at a time with Pacheco, or trying to run jet sweep us to death with Jarek McKinnon, then, then do that. And if you can do that, congratulations, you've got a ring. But I I would be thinking that Philadelphia would be leaning in that direction. Let's make Pacheco and McKinnon be the guys to beat us because we know that based on what they have done these last few weeks that MVS can beat us and certainly Travis Kelsey can beat us.
1: Yeah, and and to that point, and like I mentioned before, with the Eagles being so good at defending the tight end, I mean, of course, they're, they're defending... Arguably the greatest tight end of all time, and Travis Kelsey sure. in this game. So you know, if Travis Kelsey can can still break free and get his. Then that just again solidifies his stature all time. Uh, but the Eagles do that really well. Uh, you know, it looks like guys like Juju uh, and Kadarius Tony will end up playing. Who knows how effective they will be. Uh, but it looks like they will be as far as, you know, the reporting going into this game. Um, and LeJarrius need his clear concussion protocol, so it looks like he'll be good. But, you know, going back to that whole thought process, yeah, I mean, I think that if you, if if I'm Philly's defense, I might not be great at stopping the run. Like, we might just be an average run-stopping team. But we've got veterans that are on this defensive squad. Guys like Hassan Reddick. They added Fletcher Cox. They've got and Sue, uh, They've got Lindvall Joseph. These are names that have been around for a long time in the league. They're veterans. They've played on the largest stage of them all. And so if you want to take a rookie seventh round pick in Isaiah Pacheco and match him up against all of these veterans with decades worth of combined NFL experience, then I think that that's a matchup that the Eagles are going to want. That I don't know how successful it will be because we've seen Isaiah Pacheco have flashes of greatness, but then like a week ago, they he wasn't able to get anything going. So, you know, I think that they're, the, the thing that Philly did midway through the, the season, excuse me, was to really go all in on the defensive side of the ball to try to stop the run and to bring in a veteran presence. And they did that by acquiring a lot of these players midway through the season for this specific purpose. And so I would imagine that we'll we'll see that throughout the course of the game. And one other thing that's not necessarily Super Bowl related, but more just about the state of the franchise with Kansas City in general, I saw this stat that I didn't realize. It blew me away that 24 of the 53 players on the roster this year for Kansas City were not on the team last year. Ten of them are rookies, and four of them should start in the game in the Super Bowl. And that's a credit to Brett Veach and his masterful job of crafting this team through the draft and through free agency and bringing the pieces together. You've got the main players in Mahomes and Kelsey and Chris Jones and all of these guys, but the supporting cast around it. Brett Beach has made it work in in creative ways. And then you've got Andy Reid bringing it all together as the coach. And it was just, it's remarkable to me. I didn't even realize. And of course, we know all the national pundits at the beginning of the year were talking about, oh, Kansas City's not going to be as good this year. They got rid of Tyreek Hill and blah, 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 blah. They were going to miss the playoffs, finish last in the division, all that bullcrap. But I think that, you know, there was a little bit of justification at the time because so many guys were brand new. Nobody knew how they would judge but they have. And that's just it's a masterclass on how to organize a franchise.
0: Somebody I, somebody on Fox, I think it was, said it best, you had a Raiders team gear up. They went out, made acquisitions, because they thought, you know what, we are going to be able to compete this year. What happened to them? You had the yeah. Broncos go out. Russell Wilson. We're going to be able to compete this year. Look what happened with that. Their coach got fired. Yep. And then you yep. had the Chargers and you know, they geared up. They had a nice season. They're a nice team. They've got a nice young quarterback. There's a lot of nice things happening for the Chargers right now. If I'm a Charger fan, obviously you're not where you want to be. But certainly you don't think, you know what, your team is not a dumpster fire. Your team is still going to be a team that you look ahead to next year and say, yeah, we can get into the playoffs. There's no reason to expect that we can't get into the playoffs. But if you are a fan of one of those other franchises and you spent all this, you geared up and the Chiefs had so much turnover, best defensive player, out, best offensive player, out, and the Chiefs are 16 and three. That's a that's a concerning concerning place to be. One other thing before we move on, Philadelphia 14 and zero this year when they run for more than 100 yards, and obviously it seems this season like when the opposing team has been very committed to the run. That has been when the Chiefs' defense has struggled. They haven't done a lot. You know, like last week, we thought the Bengals were not as consistent with the run as they needed to be. The Chiefs were pretty good against the run. Can the Chiefs, against the Philadelphia team that I think will try to run the football and has a great running quarterback, will they be able to stop him? I think that is a big question because, you know, you mentioned last week, the whole idea was let's beat their defensive line. Because we have or their offensive line, our defensive line needs to be their offensive line because we believe that we have an advantage. They have better receivers than we have secondary. Probably. Didn't I don't know if we thought that our linebackers, that the Chiefs linebackers were going to play that well in that game. They did. But looking at the game, you thought, and, and if you're in the Chiefs locker room, you probably thought, you know what, we have the advantage, our front four versus their front five. I'm not sure that that's as big of an advantage this week, so I think the Chiefs are gonna have to stop the run, and I think limiting the scamper ability of Jalen Hurts is going to be key. If he if he turns out that he can pass in the pocket, which he has shown the ability to do in the past, there might be a long day for Kansas City. And you know you get a, of some vibes in terms of what Tampa Bay did to Kansas City defensively. The offensive line is much better this year than it was for Kansas City a couple of years ago against Tampa Bay when Patrick Mahomes is running for his life literally the whole game. If that turns out to be the case on a bum ankle. I think the Chiefs are going to lose this one and lose this one convincingly. Tommy, last thing before we move on. Do you have any final words? Any
1: final predictions on Super yeah, Bowl so a cou-
0: 57?
1: A, a couple of things. First off, I'm uh, impressed that you used the word scamperability. I didn't know that I'm was a I'm not sure word. that is
0: actually a word. I may have just coined check, that. We you can are check welcome. the dictionary.
1: I love that. Scamperability. That's great. Um, just a couple of quick things. I think that there is a scenario where if Kansas City loses this game where there, and I'm not suggesting I'm going to be this person but I think there will be people out there that will begin a narrative that Patrick Mahomes uh you know will be stuck at one Super Bowl win in three tries and will he only have one or Andy Reid moves to one in 4 I think, or no, one in three overall in Super Bowl games, will he only have one? I think that this game is really, really important for Kansas City uh, to be able to establish kind of that dynasty type thing that we've talked about forever with the Patriots for so long. And I also think it's important considering that over the last five years, the Chiefs have hosted Five straight AFC Championship games, and if they only have one ring to show for it, feels like a missed five year stretch, opportunity. It, it feels because these things are fleeting, right? And there's no guarantee that you're ever going to get back. It was 50 years between Super Bowl wins for <laughs> for Kansas City the last time. So take advantage. Say. Take advantage of these opportunities while you have them, um, because you never know. And even with somebody like Patrick Mahomes, and you would think that oh, they're going to be back all the time. You never really know. No. So take advantage of it while you can. It's going to be a lot better if we can say that Patrick Mahomes has a two and one record uh, overall in Super Bowl games as opposed to one and two. Uh, so that's one. That's my final thought. As far as a final prediction is concerned, don't have to it's give one difficult. if you don't want one. Don't. No, I will. It's it's difficult because, again, I can see it going so many different ways. Uh, and I wonder when we're doing our final autopsy on this game, either next week or the week after, if we're talking about how a game plan worked out better than the other team's game plan, or if a player went out and made plays. I think it could be either one of them. I don't necessarily think it's a game where you look at, this strength from Kansas city versus this weakness for Philadelphia or vice versa. It could be that, but it could just be a guy like Patrick Mahomes or a guy like Jalen hurts going out there and making plays and willing the team to victory. That being said, because I'm all over the place on this, I'll just go with my heart. I think that Kansas city wins by 10. I'm going to say final score, Kansas city, 31, Philadelphia, 21.
0: That is interesting because the national pundits and the sports books typically are favoring Philadelphia. The gamblers like Philadelphia almost exclusively. You've definitely got a lot of people saying that Philadelphia's got a more complete team just because their defense is a little bit better. They've got a more healthy quarterback. I feel like this game is going to be lower scoring than people expect. I think that this is going to be a game that is won in the 20s. I think that it's going to be 24 20 Kansas City. And I think okay. that the kind of game that Kansas City is going to be able to win is one where they contain Jalen Hurts. They limit the ability for him to make huge plays, either in the pocket on bootlegs or scrambling for big yardage, that they keep him in the pocket and contained, that the offense. Operates methodically, does not turn the ball over. The defense gets a couple of timely turnovers, and that they win a the kind of game like that. If they can protect Patrick Mahomes, keep him upright, keep the sticks moving, do an excellent job on third down, I think that's the kind of game that the Chiefs win. If the if Jalen Hurts is moving all over the place, I don't think that that bodes well. And if they can't protect Patrick Mahomes, forget it. The Chiefs will lose by like thirty. It will. It won't. It will be ugly if the Chiefs cannot pat. Uh, We cannot protect Patrick Mahomes. 5.30 for the kickoff on Fox for the Super Bowl. Maybe we'll see you next week. I hope that we see you next week. Coming up next, we go to Shocker men's basketball. As the Shockers look to put their offensive woes behind them, they currently are scoring on the season 69 points per game, which is nice, but... What is better is what they've done over the last eight games, scoring 79 points per game. And even though the second half was not great, they did absolutely roll offensively over Tulsa to an 86-75 win on Sunday. Tough loss in the game before against Houston. And the stripe out at Charles Cook Arena, a 70-61 loss to the number three Cougars. But we've seen so many of these games... This year for Wichita State and you are wondering how in the world do you get into a situation where you lose and your defense gives up only 52 points or your defense only gives up 59 points or 55 points and you lose the game. How does that happen? Well, it has happened to this team several times this year, but for whatever reason, that seems to be in the rear view as the Shockers come out. They really attack 52% from the field against Tulsa. They ran amazing offense, 45 points in the first half, and they didn't have a big drought. That's another thing that's happened to these Isaac Brown teams in the past. They'll just go 10 minutes and go brain dead and forget how to play offense. That didn't happen. Now, the defense in the second half against Tulsa, that's another story. But, uh, 86-75 win over uh, Tulsa to go to 12-11 overall, 5-6 and six in the American. Let's not, you know, make this overblown into something that it's not and say, oh, Wichita State's back. I don't think that's the case. But offensively, they're definitely trends in the correct direction for the Shockers.
1: Yeah, it almost seems like there's been sort of an identity shift with this team from around, I don't know, the, the start of the new year. Like, I don't know if this team had some New Year's resolutions and they wanted to, like, flip the script a little bit, but they've gone from not being able to score at all to But playing really solid defense at times to almost the exact opposite. Like sometimes I think their defense is a little suspect right now, but they're scoring at a pretty high clip. Um, So it's just a completely different team than what we saw at the beginning of the season and what they've been able to do. Did you know that so far in the calendar year of 2023, there's only been one game where Wichita State State has scored under 70 points, and that was the game this last Thursday against Houston where they scored 61. Other than that, they've been over the 70-point mark every single game in the calendar year one of 2023. quick correction, there
0: was the Cincinnati game, January 5th. They lost that one 70-61. That would be the okay, so only After other
1: game. January 5th, every game in 2023, except for the Houston game, they've scored over 70 points. My point in that is is just in saying it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about that they could only put up 49 points against, you know, what was it, Oklahoma State or 50-some points against Kansas State. That opening game against UCF, what'd they score? 42 points? I mean, it was, like, ridiculous. I think they were in the 60s against,
0: like, Alcorn State. They were in the 60s in that game. you know,
1: it was really, really bad. And the question forever was outside of Craig Porter Jr., who is going to be able to score consistently. And we would see flashes of it from certain players at certain times. But I st- I'm starting to feel like we're we're seeing some more consistency from guys like Jaquan Walton, who has scored uh, in double figures in a, uh, in a vast majority of games this calendar year so far. Uh, and in fact, I even bet his point total over against Tulsa because I felt like, I think it was like, 18 and a half or something. And I was like, he should get that easy. Uh, And he did. So, I mean, I, I really feel like we're, we're starting to see other players emerge. James Rojas has been playing with a ton of injury with a ton of uh, energy and he's had a lot of injuries, but he's been able to do that. So my, my point being that we've seen a shift in the mindset of this team. Um, you can call it desperation, you can call it whatever you want to call it. but what what we're seeing is this team responding in a way to where I think that their ceiling is a little bit higher than maybe I gave them credit for a couple of months ago. The starting five out there right now, could be one of the better teams, one of the better starting fives in the American Conference when they play at their full potential.
0: Now, we mentioned defensively that there were issues. Let's really, you know, hone in on that defensively wasn't really that bad. The last three minutes with the reserves in the game was about as awful as Wichita State could possibly play because they were coasting. They led by 21. Coach Brown wants to get the backups in, get them some experience. And, you know, Wichita State has been one of the premier bench teams in terms of the percentage of their scoring that they've gotten off the bench all season. But they were absolutely dreadful, dreadful against Tulsa in that game and they about let Tulsa have a chance to you know really make it uncomfortable for Wichita State down the stretch in that game Uh, finally coach Brown just had to get the starters back in just to close it out when the starters were in I mean they were like plus 20 over Tulsa it was not a close game but the last three minutes was that was something to witness that was really really ugly for Wichita State
1: yeah on top of that too um, going back to the Houston game you know they were in that game until about four or five minutes left, uh, and you know they they were hanging tight with Houston, taking their punches and counter punching them. Uh, the energy level was great. I thought that Coca Arena, the energy and the atmosphere was awesome. Uh, and of course, Jaquan Walton took that game over offensively. Yeah, he did. I thought Craig Porter Jr. even though he didn't have a great stat line offensively, I thought he had some great minutes on the defensive side of the ball. And James Rojas was able to to, to run the floor uh, like crazy in that game. And and I I think that you know I'm not a moral victories guy, um, but be. I do but I do think that. Had we been looking ahead to that Houston game, I don't know, a month or two ago, I would have been dreading it. And I think anybody, any <laughs> Shocker fan would have been dreading it. Like, even though it's at home, Houston's going to come in and blow us out of the water. And they didn't do that. And, and, and Wichita State showed a lot of resiliency and a lot of toughness in that game. Did it result in a win? No. But did they uh, make some people a believer that they're on the right track and moving forward. I'd like to think so. I, I don't know if that has, I think a lot of people in the fan base have already made up their minds about this team, but I, I do hope that there are some people out there that watched that effort and then watched the game immediately preceding the Houston game when they blew out East Carolina. And then the game immediately after with Tulsa when yeah, they did let Tulsa back in the game, but it was a pretty complete victory overall. And you look at all of that combined and you think, Okay, this team might not have it this year, but if they can keep the pieces, they're moving in the right direction. My, my my final thought on Wichita State is they should do everything they can. Priority number one, I don't care if it's Isaac Brown or a new coaching staff, they need to do everything they can to keep Jaquan Walton in the Shocker next season. I don't care what NIL looks like, but he has emerged as a future star for the Shockers program. They've got to keep him in Wichita.
0: One guy that we haven't mentioned that I think bears mentioning right now is Kenny Poto. Kenny Poto, the first half of the season, to take the first semester all the way through. Let's count out. I'm not going to count because it makes my argument better if I put that Central Florida game in the first semester rather than the second semester. So I'm going to do that because I'm a coast on the show and you can't stop me. He had two double-figure scoring games the entire first semester. The second semester, he's had six double-figure scoring games. He had zero zero double-doubles in the first semester. He's got two double-doubles second semester, including three double-digit rebounding games. And, you know, going inside the numbers, thanks to my guy, Taylor Eldridge of Wichita Eagle, who did the research so I don't have to, over the last 10 games, he's averaging 11, 7, 3 assists, and 1 block. And so he's doubled his points from first semester. He's nearly doubled his rebounds from first semester. He's doubled his assists from first semester. He's like times four on blocks per game in the first semester. So whatever the, the, you, you know, Coach Drew Johnson at Newman tells me, confidence is a crazy drug. And whatever it is right now, Kenny Poto is sniffing it because he believes in himself, and he looks like a completely different player. He was a guy in the first half, and he's basically playing the same amount of minutes. I mean, he's getting more because he's playing well now, but he started, he had every opportunity in those earlier games, but he's getting more shots now. He is getting the trust of his teammates, and he's a guy that you think from the beginning of the year, like, and, you know, if Kenny Poto gets in foul trouble, if he goes out, if he doesn't have a big game, you know what? We weren't really expecting him to do anything anyway. Now you look at Kenny Poto, and you're like, man, I really hope that Kenny Poto is going to come to play today. We need him. And this men's basketball team, I-, I think that's been the biggest difference for me is the way that Kenny Poto is playing in the second semester. It's a night and day difference when you have a guy that was averaging 5, now he's averaging 11, and double his rebound output. That's incredible.
1: It was not that long ago that there was a real fear with this program that if you don't have Craig Porter Jr., who you got. Yeah. Uh, and now it's almost like everybody is starting to find their place. It might have just taken a little while longer for this program, but they're, they're starting to figure it out and gel, and, and everybody's kind of peaking at the right time. Regardless of what the end result is for this season, and, and let's face it, barring a tournament win, Barring a conference tournament uh, championship in the American, Shockers aren't going to the NCAA tournament this year. Um, Barring that, they go. NIT is that? uh, Could probably be on the the table. table, I I don't.
0: I have no idea.
1: But but look, uh, that it's not happening for them. But there is a lot to play for, and if these players like, and I don't know if they do or not, I would imagine they do, but if they like the current coaching staff, then part of it is the desperation of, we got to keep it going because we want to keep this thing going with Isaac Brown and and whatever. Every game is incredibly important for the future of this program moving forward. And so I think that that can be great motivation if that's what this team truly wants, if they want the consistency, if they want to keep it going uh, into next year. So uh, even though... There were times early on in the year where, like, what are they doing? This is awful. The program is washed. Uh, they're at a point now where every game does matter, at least for the future of this program not only
0: that but you it, it's to me i think the the positive thing is the turnaround after the tulane game you know when you lose a game like that when you are clearly the better team for 20 minutes and you pride yourself on being you know hey we're a team that plays defense and you give up 95 in overtime and you get in just the 5 minutes you give up 21 points to tulane this isn't yeah. giving it up to houston this isn't giving it up to cincinnati this is tulane nothing against tulane But when you beat their doors in in the first half, and you let them come back on you in the second the way that they did, um, this season could have gone in a much, much different direction. The fact that they have come out taking care of business on the road in East Carolina, acquitted themselves pretty well against Houston, and then you know for 37 minutes they obliterate Tulsa. Obviously, it doesn't mean anything if you drop it against Central Florida. Central Florida is coming out. That'll be tonight as you are watching this uh, episode of the Cogpod. That is a 7 o'clock tip-off And that will be on the plus and then if some of you, I'm sure some of you are going to be insane people watching Wichita State on Super Bowl Sunday. It is a 3 o'clock game, so you might be able to get it done just in it's time. It's a good lead-in. It can lead right be into the a great lead-in, great pregame for that. I'm happy for the guys that they will be able to get to Super Bowls because it is in Wichita. That game is on ESPN2, 3 o'clock on Sunday. But if you don't take care of business this week, what we're saying about all the positive stuff probably means absolutely nothing, but uh, it's definitely – a step in the right direction for Wichita State. Moving on to the Kansas State Wildcats, you know, Coach Jerome Tang has said several times over the years, and many people like, oh man, what a happy guy, is always smiling and always so, you know, so thankful for his job. Why shouldn't he be? Look at how good the team is playing. Well, it didn't go quite to form uh, last week for Kansas State as coming in was the Texas Longhorns. And he straight up said after the game, uh, I'm pissed. Uh, they rallied huge in the second half. They beat Kansas State on Saturday, uh, 69 to 66, and that is, uh, you know. Kansas State is playing a top 25 TCU team right now. Uh, that's a top 25 matchup, the number 12 Cats and the number 17 Horned Frogs. It seems like every single game for these teams is against another top 25 team. It's absolutely ridiculous what these teams are having to go through. This game is in the first half at 7-6 to six Kansas State, just exactly what you would expect, a very competitive matchup between two very, very, very good basketball teams. But the last game that we have to go on, the the last couple of games we have to go on for Kansas State obviously the sunflower showdown and Texas and uh, you know to be frank for this Kansas State team wasn't a great week last week
1: well it's gut check time for these wildcats and um, you know look I I feel like with this program um, eventually the the luster wears off of me saying or anybody saying uh, it's a must win for Kansas State but really truly the game that's going on right now is I think it's a must win. Is a must. I think if they want to keep pace in the Big Twelve, absolutely Okay, it's a must I'll, win. I'll buy
0: that. I don't know about the like the context of like well, no, no, no. But, what but him's doing the, building the program. No, but yeah. But
1: for for the conference race, sure. I buy uh, that. If they won a Big Twelve Championship, it's a must-win. And they're on a conference losing streak right now. They've lost three conference games in a row. They did beat Florida pretty handily in the Big Twelve SEC challenge that was right in the middle of that <laughs> By the way, losing streak. How about
0: Oklahoma? Wasn't Alabama mm. like leading the SEC? They just going in yeah. and they blow them out like we'll like no, see you in the, the SEC two team in the country in
1: yes the number two team in America
0: like you guys think that we're scared of the SEC of basketball we can't yeah. wait to get out of the big 12 we'll see you in 2025 we're gonna be running this conference
1: but you take out you know that that Florida game when you've got the last three big 12 games for Kansas State where all three losses and I think that it's it's time for this Wildcat squad to show that toughness and show that tenacity, uh, and, and I think that they can. Um, they've any you've got players like Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel who are so tough and they're so laser focused and they they're unwavering. Uh, they don't get rattled by things. Uh, I think that that's, that's going to bode well for the Wildcats. But yeah, the game that's going on right now, as we record this show, I've got it on in the background. The Wildcats have a small lead early on here in the game. I think it's gut check time a little bit because they've got to be able to get back in this race. It wasn't that long ago that the Wildcats were all alone in first place in the Big 12. And here they are now 6-4 and four. with the loss. They dropped to 6-5 and five, and they're two games back at Texas. So if they want to stay one game back, which by the way, uh, I'm just going to say it right now. Nobody's winning the Big 12 outright. There's going to be a share. Uh, there, At least two teams, if yeah. not more, are going to share this title because it's such a logjam. Uh, but they've got to keep pace. Uh, and I think that this is a really important stretch for Jerome Tang in his tenure at Kansas State to get this mm. team to rally together and get them back on track. I really do think it is.
0: I, I think that's that's overstating it a little bit. Like I How? said...
1: I mean, come on. like It's been nothing but roses and unicorns and sure. butterflies this entire time. This is the first true adversity that this team under Jerome Tang has faced. How does he get the team to respond? I think so, it's important.
0: So here's, here's my counter-argument to that. When we... I, How many times did you get asked on your radio show, because you're big and famous now, during KU football, (laughs) hey, you know, how do you feel about the season if they lose out? Because Kansas State was supposed to be dead last this year, and you said, it doesn't matter. K, K, Ku football is exactly you know where it, it's further than we would ever dream that it could be. And for Kansas State fans, if you are dreaming that it could be better than this this year, then you need to wake up, man, because you're out of your mind. The, but I the think
1: fact it's that, also it's also okay to adjust expectations as you.
0: And go. we did for Ku as well, right? But we did, but, and but I think you that,
1: can for Kansas State basketball too.
0: And I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but to say that oh, you know, if if they just lose out from here, then Uh, You know, Coach Tang has given up so much. I mean, KU almost did lose out from there. I don't think that they gave that up that much. And I think if Kansas State is competitive, I think that the way that they lose is going to be much more important than whether or not they're able to pull these games out. Are they able to go out? I think that they're going to win some of these games. As you mentioned, the Big Twelve is so ludicrously difficult. I mean, even Oklahoma State at five and five right now, I still feel like is not really out of the Big Twelve. They're only three games back.
1: They play at home in Stillwater against Texas Tech. On Wednesday night, and Texas tech is one and nine in Big Twelve play. And if Oklahoma State can win at home against a one and nine Red Raiders team, then they're only two games back of yeah. Texas in the Big 12 standings. There are nine legitimate tournament teams out of the 10 in the Big 12 right now. Oklahoma's on the bubble. They're desperate because they want to play in and get a spot, so they're dangerous. West Virginia, uh, I mean, come on, like you don't talk about them a whole lot, but they're right there as far as being a tournament team and dangerous uh when they're helping. And when they're they're clicking on all cylinders, there is no bottom to this conference. No, all all 10 teams are in the top 70 in the net. They're all ranked very high Stupid. in kinpom It's crazy yeah. the metrics and everything, the way that this conference plays. Yeah. There's no there's no cupcake or cakewalk. I mean, you remember when TCU first joined the conference? They, they were, were playing, so bad. They were playing in a high school gym and Trent Johnson was their coach. Like, you you knew you were going to beat them. You played them. Remember the days in the Big 12 when Colorado and Nebraska were and like You knew you were going to probably beat them, right? Sure. Like, this is different. It's no. a different kind of conference now. You can't take Take a single night off, and I'm not suggesting at all that Jerome Tang is at risk of losing the team or that all the progress is going to go away. What I'm saying is well, that he has. I'm, I'm looking at it more from he has an opportunity here a with a 3 game losing streak to get these guys to respond in a positive way, where then those expectations can go even higher.
0: And you know, you look at the coldest team in the Big 12 right now. It's Kansas State. Uh, Oklahoma has lost five in a row, but I mean, look at who Oklahoma. Look at who they've played. They lost to Oklahoma State, the West Virginia Oklahoma State losses for them. If they really stylize themselves as a you know an NCAA tournament team, I don't think that you can go on the road to Morgantown against this Mountaineer team and lose by 32. That I don't think. But, you know, you look before that, they lost at Oklahoma State. They lost to Baylor by two. They lost at TCU, and they lost to Oklahoma State by 10. And then they absolutely run Alabama out of Norman, 93-69. So the the respect level for the selection committee is going to be off the charts. Talking about this Kansas State team, they have put a couple of bad halves defensively together. Now, how much credit do you give Texas In the second half of that game, they shoot 30% in the first half, 57% in the second half. Obviously, against Kansas, it was kind of the opposite. It was the first half where they give up eight three-pointers to Kansas and you know they just never got into the game and KU defensively even though there were a lot of points scored they give up 41 points but Kansas State was very inefficient they had to they did very well at the free throw line but in terms of scoring from the field they only shot 31% only only shot 34% from the game but you know defensively I thought that there were some problems that they had against Kansas and certainly against Texas they were exposed by the Longhorns in that contest here against TCU in the early going of this game. It looks like the defense for Kansas State is playing very well. TCU has missed uh, 11 of their first 16 shots, only shooting 31% from the field. Meanwhile, Kansas State has hit 2 of 4-3, shooting 43%. So it, it seems like as of... Right now, as we're watching this game, I th- I like the defense that they're playing against TCU, but they had a bad half against Texas and a bad half against Kansas. What's going to happen in the second half of this TCU game? We're probably not going to be recording to see it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, going back to the Texas game, Christian Bishop took that game over for Texas yeah, in did. the second half, and he had played really, really poorly, like the several, like, I don't know, four or five games before that one against Kansas State, and I read an article where basically... Rodney Terry and him talked at halftime, and he was like, "I'm just going to go out there and take over," and he did. I think he scored 14 points in the second half for Texas and led that comeback uh, for the Longhorns. So I think that's part of it too. But yeah, I don't think you can you can uh, question the lack of a defensive. Lockdown from Kansas state at times, and they've been able to do it. They just haven't been able to do it consistently for an entire 40 minutes, the last two games. So got to see them lock down a little bit more. Uh, we know that they're going to be able to score. They're really good at that. Uh, and we know they, that they, they can really win. do it
0: against Iowa state either on the road. Let's right. not forget but, that. But we all,
1: we also know that they can play and win gritty I'm grinded out games, but we need to be able to see them do it for a full 40 minutes because they haven't done that recently. Not recently.
0: I mean, I think the win, they had that win against Texas where they scored 116. They grinded out an overtime win against Baylor. They grinded out the Sunflower Showdown in the first matchup against Kansas. So, yeah, I think you said it exactly right. They can do it, but it's been a minute since they have done it. And will they get it done against Texas Uh, or Texas Christian, I should say? I don't know. Obviously, the landing will be hopefully soft for Kansas State next week. They've got Texas Tech on Saturday and then at Oklahoma on Tuesday. Tuesday, not that you can just walk into the Lloyd Noble Center and and just expect to win, but I think if you're Kansas State, you need to expect that you can win these games, but that that Oklahoma game won't be easy.
1: Yeah, so by the way, before we move on, you know, like we mentioned, this game with TCU is going on right now as we're recording, and Kansas State, I've got it on, they just forced a, a, a shot clock violation from TCU and the the defensive movement intensity looked great. So, I mean, I know that's one possession, but if they can keep that up throughout the entire game, things will look good for Kansas State. Well,
0: did Jerome Tang after that Texas game said, you know, they basically said, "Hey, media, do you see me smiling today?" And basically said, if these guys aren't as pissed off as I am about what happened in the second half against Texas, don't worry, they will be. And it appears that the message was sent and delivered because they are playing extremely well. Like you said, we're only 10 minutes into this ballgame, but they've only given up 11 points right now to TCU. So they're on pace to give up 40 at this point. Not that TCU is not going to find a run because they're just that good. But uh, yeah, so far, early returns seem to be very good on the Kansas State defense here today. We wrap things up with college basketball looking to the University of Kansas Jayhawks against another team that we've been following in terms of Big 12 Conference Championships, the first place Texas Longhorns. And I think everybody in the conference, very, very rare that everybody wants KU to win, but that might've been the case because they needed somebody to help real Texas back in. If Texas wins that game, they go to nine and two. They've got two games of separation over Iowa State. They've got two and a half games over... Kansas, and you're thinking it's going to be a little tough to catch the Longhorns. But the Jayhawks, as you know, Tommy, pretty good on Big Monday. They have won 40 straight games on Big Monday, and they beat Texas. 88 to 80. Grady Dick with 21 points. DeJuan Harris, who's been getting you know a little hate for his play in the last recent in the few game last few games, 17.6 rebounds and five assists. Kevin McCuller had 16 points. It was really a team effort. A lot of balanced scoring. Jalen Wilson had a very rare off night. I think it was his first and only game in single digit scoring this entire season. And offensively for Kansas, it was great to see so many other. Players step up to deliver Kansas that eight-point win.
1: Yeah, I think if uh, you would have asked me before the game, uh, what would the outcome be if Jalen Wilson only scored two points, I would have said L. Uh, it was going to be a bad night for the Jayhawks, but it turned out to be the exact opposite, and I think that's exactly the kind of win that Bill Self and the Jayhawks needed to have. They needed to have a victory where they weren't relying on Jalen Wilson only to get the job done. There have been so many games. You and I talked about it on this podcast where Jalen Wilson is putting up 20, 25, even more points a game, but he's the only one, and the Jayhawks aren't winning those games. And so that's been a strategy for teams consistently is – Let Jalen Wilson get his because nobody else is going to be able to get theirs and we'll have an opportunity to win, you know, these games. That didn't happen against Texas, and it was great to see Grady Dick have some shots fall. He had struggled in shooting to where I was worried about his confidence level a little bit, but he had 21 points, shot the ball really well. Late corner three was huge. Kevin McCuller had a, a good game and a lot of intensity. I mean, Allen Fieldhouse was jacked. It was the first time, by the way, I, I didn't even realize this stat. The first time that in the Bill Self era, an opponent had come to Allen Fieldhouse to play a game that is two, that was two games ahead of Kansas in the Big 12 standings. That had <laughs> never happened before wow. in the Bill Self era. Uh, and so unprecedented territory for the Jayhawks. It was a, you know, a really important game for them to keep pace. And the fact that it's a top five opponent. Bill Self is 9-1 and one at home against top five opponents in his career at Kansas. So everybody knew the stakes for this game. And the fact that so many different guys stepped up, but most especially DeWan Harris, who is probably... He's not the most talented player on the team, but he's probably the most important player on the team. Where DeWan Harris goes, that's where this team goes. And in the games that he has not been there, the games that it's not worked for him, and he's uncharacteristically turned the ball over and not made baskets, the Jayhawks have lost those games. In games where his assist to turnover ratio is good and he's making shots, that's when the Jayhawks win. Super important, and I'm really glad to see him show up.
0: Well, yeah, and Grady Dick, you know, against that against Iowa State in the previous game, you don't want to talk about turnover problems. You turn the ball over twenty times in this big twelve, you don't have a prayer of winning that game. And number thirteen Iowa State absolutely took care of business against Kansas there at Hilton to win that one with twenty turnovers. And Grady Dick was just completely out of sorts. Oh, No turnovers, uh, no assists. He had five turnovers in that game and just was a ball handling disaster for Kansas. That got corrected against Texas. 16 yeah. assists, 11 turnovers. Dewan Harris had five. Kevin McCullough had six assists. KU rebounded the ball, the ball very well. They shot a much higher percentage from the field. I think in the first half against Iowa State, they shot like 32%. They didn't shoot worse than 47% against the Longhorns. They shot 51% in the second half. And the thing that I loved is that this Kansas team... Grady Dick was two for three. The rest of the team was 0 for 7. They did not fall in love with the three-pointer in this game. They were able to generate so many points off of the fast break. They used their transition game to get easy baskets. They scored 50 points in the paint in this game. So I hope that in the future, if there is a game, and you know that there is going to be one probably in March, where the three-point basket is just not falling – say, hey, guys, remember that game where we outscored Texas on the fast break 24-8 to and we got to the free throw line and shot 28 free throws to their 18 and we made 22 and they only made 14 and we scored 50 points in the paint and we only shot 10 threes the whole game and only four in the second half? Why don't we try that? Why don't we just get the game up tempo and don't live outside the three-point line?
1: And you know what's remarkable about that 50 points in the paint this is not a post-up team. No. They don't have a David McCormick. They don't have a Yudoka bouquet to post it up. Greg Ostertag is not walking not, through no, that door. It's not happening. So the 50 points in the paint, they were getting to the rim. They, yes. It was either in transition or they were driving to the basket in their half-court sets. And a lot of that credit goes to Joe Yesifu, who I was wondering he was if he was— incredible. I was just wondering if he was ever gonna show up for this Kansas team. <laughs> he had 14 points. I thought he played terrific and earned himself some really, really, really valuable minutes moving forward as we get into the home stretch of the Big 12 season and the tournament. Um, because he was incredible. And he's so much of a, a downhill slasher type guy that it it worked and they didn't settle for the three. And where, you know, he's had not a lot of success this season because he's been settling for the three-point shot and it's not working. And he's not the only one. Uh, Grady Dick's been doing that too. Dewan Harris has been doing that. But they they got to the rim and that was the most important thing about it. I was genuinely concerned about this Jayhawks team after the butt whooping that they took at Iowa State over the weekend. And the reason I was concerned was, be, num- I mean, number one, nobody outside of jalen wilson did anything no but i was i was concerned because think about the week prior blake they went to rup arena and they beat kentucky fairly handily. yeah then they they came back home and they very handily beat kansas state in the sunflower showdown part two That was coming off of a three-game conference losing streak. And there were two games in a row, Kentucky and Kansas State, that things looked to be moving in the right direction. The bench was scoring at a high clip. It wasn't just Jalen Wilson. Things were working pretty well for the Jayhawks. And I thought, okay, like the the issues, the three-game losing streak – It's done. They can move on. And then Iowa State happened. And it looked like they went right back to where they were during that three-game losing streak. So I was concerned about the long-term prospects of this team. And then... The game against Texas happened and I'm like, man, if everybody can just contribute like this on a game by game basis, things are gonna look really good for Kansas.
0: The the defense I thought at times it, it's hard to grade because I I just think all these other teams are so talented. I do think going back to the the Sunflower showdown that I thought Dewan Harris played a masterful game against Noel in that game. Yeah, when Noel did. got to his spot, he was great. And, you know, Keontae Johnson, uh, you are I think at this point you're just going to have to let him. He's going to get his 15 to 25 a game, and you're just going to have to limit everybody else. But when Noel got to his spot, he was good. But Dewan Harris really bothered him in the Sunflower Showdown. I know we're kind of glossing over that a little bit to more recent games. But he... he I thought that he limited him from getting to his spot in that 90-78 win for the Jayhawks. In that one, the other thing too that I wanted to point out is not just the fact that you know Yosefu played so well because you know first of all I feel good for you because you this was your guy when he came in and you're like hey, oh this... I loved it and he, know, has he was done... like.
1: He was like an all-conference player in the Missouri Valley and yes. um and I watched that it was a couple of years ago when Drake was in the tournament and he played great. He was awesome. Uh and I thought, man, like that because I think they played Wichita State in a tournament I game. I think you're right. 2 years ago and that was kind of when Yesufu jumped onto the map and then he transferred to Kansas and I was like, man, like he can shoot it and he could maybe even start on this team and we just we haven't seen it consistently.
0: No. Yeah, and it, it hasn't happened this year but Maybe that will be the boating of more things to come. But I also want to talk about Ernest Uday Jr. He came yeah. in, he only played about 19 minutes, but he was three for three. He had two rebounds, he scored six points, did not have a turnover in this game. You know, if they can get more out of Uday, that's going to help that position get some more depth. You know, you have looked so many times, and you've talked about it, how this Kansas team just isn't that deep, and Coach Self is playing these guys 35-plus
1: minutes a night, and he is. But, you know, we had saw— eight scholarship players on Monday night against Texas. Eight scholarship players. There was discussion before the game that Michael Jankovic— <laughs> might have gotten some actual like extended game minutes. Gotten some runs. Because they you know, because Zach Clements is injured, Bobby Pettiford is injured, Zuby Edgefor is injured. Uh and so they, and I like they had to Bird rely they had to rely on Uday and MJ Rice, who we haven't seen a ton of this year, and Joe Yesufu. Like they had to rely on I mean it was a it was an eight man rotation for the entire game against Texas.
0: I think that that might be a good thing long term to get Coach Bill self out of his comfort box. Because his comfort box is, I'm going to play these five starters that I know that I can trust, and I'm going to play their guts out and keep them in the game and play them 35-plus minutes, and I'm only going to sub what I absolutely have to if there is foul trouble or I'm li- literally legally required to by the law. I'm not going to take these guys out. He was forced to do things differently because of the rotation and get some of these guys in. And so hopefully, as a coach, he will say, you know what? Maybe I can trust more than these guys. Maybe I do have more than the seven that I thought I had. Because I do think that Pettiford's played extremely well this year and that he's going to continue to produce when he comes back into the lineup. But maybe he will be able to relax a little bit and say, you know what, some of these guys that don't get as much run, I mean, the the three best plus minus guys for KU in this game was Yesifu,
1: Rice, and Uday. They were the best. Yeah, yeah. And it, it worked. And, you know, of course... Uh, it's pretty clear and pretty apparent just from watching Bill Self for the last two decades, the way that he runs his rotations. And, you know, and I've actually heard Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, mention this a couple different times that Bill Self has kind of like that circle of trust from the movie Meet the Parents. Sure. Uh, yeah. Where, like, if you're outside of the circle of trust, it doesn't matter how talented you're you are. You're dead to him. If he can't trust you, he's not going to put you in a game. You could be a McDonald's All American. There's a couple of them on this team right now. That if that's great and have all the talent in the world, but if he can't trust you in clutch moments, he's not going to play you. And so, but when you've got eight guys, you're kind of forced to give extended minutes to players that maybe you wouldn't normally. Play for those amount of minutes. And the good thing for guys like Uday and Yesufu and Rice, I think all three of them proved that even though they may not fully be in that circle of trust, they're getting their way in there and they rose to the occasion. Uh, when Bill Self needed to have them, they were there and they produced.
0: The Jayhawks are back in action on Saturday. They've got Oklahoma on the road down at the LNC. It's a noon tip off on CBS. And then next week, Oklahoma State on the road, and then Baylor. On the 18th, those two games are on ESPN. That brings us to our last piece of business here on this episode of The Keeper of the Games. It is time to maybe have, I don't know, is this the hottest segment in Wichita sports? I think so. It's time. I I think that I venture a guess that it possibly could be, because when we hit the music, people know what time it is. It's time for our Wichita whip around, the best story in Wichita sports that you probably missed. I'm going first this week, and I am starting with the University of Jets, Newman University, right here in Wichita, Kansas. I've got the logo on today. I'm sure Cody or uh, that uh, Tommy will edit it out, but Stevie Strong <laughs> earns the first. MIAA Athlete of the Week Award for Newman Men's Basketball in program history. He had 40 points on Hall of Fame day. It was a tremendous day for the Hall of Fame as the Jets inducted their class of 2023. It was great to be a part of, but it always goes down a little bit sour if you don't win that game. The Newman men, an almost a must-win game to have a chance to go to Kansas City. They get 40 points from Stevie Strong, and he leads the Jets, who are 17 down with less than 5 minutes. Minutes to play in the first half, they come back and beat Nebraska Kearney 84-74. Just the 40, the fourth 40-point game in Newman history. It matches his career high from earlier in the year. And it's the second most points ever scored by a Newman Jet. He's moving up the rankings in terms of the top 10 in Newman scoring, field goals, all these different stats. A great way to for the Jets to finally get that MIAA Player of the Week award. Stevie Strong of Newman Men's Basketball, my Wichita Whiparound story. What
1: about you, Tommy? Well, first off, before I say mine, uh, did I see the legendary... Newman basketball coach Mark Potter was in the class.
0: Yes, he was in the class. That's awesome. The well win- winningest coach in Newman men's basketball history. The court is named after him. First ballot Hall of Famer. I, it's not yeah. like there was a real big surprise. Like, oh, sure. geez, I wonder if uh, I wonder if Mark Potter is going to get the votes <laughs> to get in. I was on the Hall of Fame committee for the first time this season, and so I can go ahead and reveal to you. I don't think that anybody on the selection committee is going to mind me saying. It wasn't a close vote, it was unanimous. <laughs> it was funny because yeah. he's also on the Hall of Fame committee. So we actually did like a secret poll in the meeting while, cause he was out doing his D2 up, you know, like his, uh. He speaks about depression and how we need to sure, be, yeah. you know, don't don't keep it a secret, don't keep it behind closed doors, make it, you know, come out into the light with it. You can find him on Instagram, Twitter, all this other stuff. You if you need if you need his help, he will come to you. I believe me. But um, we kept it secret from him. They called him a couple days later and said, oh hey, by the way, we voted you in too. He was like, <laughs> what are you guys doing to me? But yeah, great to have him in. That's how about awesome. your whip out, sir?
1: Yeah, so I'm gonna go back, actually back to the Super Bowl for a second here That's okay. uh, with the Wichita with the Wichita story uh, that made news uh, several days ago. There is a brand new police chief for the city of Wichita by the name of Joe Sullivan. That's right, and he's been uh, in the role for a couple of months now, but he comes from Philadelphia. He is a Philadelphia native, and he issued a challenge to Sedgwick County Sheriff Jeff Easter that if the Eagles win, Jeff Easter has to stand on the corner of a busy intersection of Wichita holding a flag that says Fly Eagles Fly, and Jeff Easter accepted the challenge, and if the Chiefs win, then Joe Sullivan has to stand on that same corner holding a banner that says Chiefs Kingdom. So a little fun uh, wager, a little, uh, little bet there for the Super Bowl between the new chief of police, who's a Philly guy, and Sedgwick County Sheriff. Jeff Easter should be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, he is. Yeah, the guy is from Philly. So, I mean, I guess for that, we can forgive him. Otherwise, you know, it's like, just go back to Philly. If the Eagles win, yeah. don't, don't stay. We'll find somebody else. We'll bring back, you know, chef Gordon Ramsey or whoever it was who left in, you know, somewhat of disgrace. What they, do you we'll,
1: think when, when we're comparing Kansas city and Philadelphia, what do you think wins cheese steaks or barbecue boy? That's you know what? I will have never been to
0: Philadelphia. So I've I've never had, you know, like, what is it? Like there's those two Philly cheesesteak places that are right across the street from each other. And that's the big, you know, uh, controversy, which is the best, the real Philly cheesesteak. So I've never had a Philly cheesesteak sandwich in Philly. I have had barbecue in Kansas City. Um, And not that I've had all the barbecue, but there is some darn good barbecue in Kansas City. I would love to be able to get a legit Philly cheesesteak, no mush from Philadelphia, <laughs> in order to make that decision. Because I have to admit, like I'll even shout out something down here in Wichita. Philly cheesesteak at the anchor. Man, hmm. you, you, you gotta stuff. get there. That is the best Philly cheesesteak that I've ever had at the anchor, right here in Wichita. So uh, yeah, that Philly cheesesteak, definitely iconic for Philadelphia. And Kansas City Barbecue, obviously, world, uh, world renowned. Time for our additions, corrections, and retractions. I think I already got my one correction and the only one that I needed, Tommy. Any ACs and R's for you today?
1: Yeah, I think the only addition that's really quick and really brief, uh, we were wondering what the Kansas City Royals were going to do in regards to Zach Grinke. Uh They re-signed him to a one-year deal, so Grinky will be back providing kind of that veteran presence in the rotation for the Royals. Whatever, I get it. It's fine. I don't have an issue with it. Um, you know, I... Team's cool. like gonna suck a- today.
0: Suck this year anyway.
1: He's a Royals icon, Royals is, legend, one of the best, you know, current active pitchers in the game today. Um doesn't have the 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 best stuff anymore. Uh but you know, he can eat up innings and at this point for the Royals uh pitching staff that's what they need. They need an innings eater and so they brought him back. I'm cool with it.
0: Yeah, I'm totally fine with it. They're just from all the moves that they have made so far, it seems like they are already just limping to the end of the season. We'll see. Uh it, it should be a very interesting we're like are we like a month or like weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting? Like, isn't that happening yeah. soon? Uh,
1: February, yeah, like the week of Valentine's Day. So I guess that'd be next I, week. That's like next week. So I know, I know. Spring training games kick off February twenty fourth. I think is the first spring training game.
0: You know how there's this, uh, you know, illusion in every sport, like especially in baseball, like opening day. Every team's got a chance. It feels like we're ten games back like before opening day it feels like the royals are just minus 10 in the games back maybe that'll turn out to be false but yeah it feels like the season's already over that is well, our yeah. sh- that is our show for this week uh, we may see you next week. We both hope, sure as hell, that hope we're here we next, see you week. next week. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're planning to be here next week. If we're not, uh, we will be here to commiserate with you about another missed opportunity. If we see you next week, that we are talking about a Kansas City championship. Uh, we'll fill in if it's if it's uh you know we may do one segment on college basketball. You know what happened with uh, Kansas State in this TCU game? Uh, did KU lay an egg against Oklahoma? Did, did the Shockers totally? give back all their positive momentum from the last week we'll touch on it but make no mistake if we're talking next week. It is going to be a Chiefs centric, Super Bowl centric show. Um, it's going to be an incredible game coming up on On, I hope that it is a good game. I mean, I'll take a bad game if the Chiefs win, but uh, it's going to be really, really fun to to be able to watch. I've already told, I don't know what your plans are for the Super Bowl. I have a party uh, that I've gone to for a long time. Typically, it's a pretty casual party. It's a place to go and eat. We play like board games and card games during the Super Bowl and sure. just kind of chill out. It's, a, it's an atmosphere. It's not a sport event i've already told them for this games and they've already been through it in 2020 i will not be playing any games i uh, don't bother me if you don't want your children to be subjected to foul language don't bring them <laughs> or tell me not to come because if i'm there i'm watching the game and
1: that's just the way it is yeah things change a lot when you have kids um so you know we would go somewhere Um, But I I think a lot of (laughs) this is going to sound bad, but a lot of the friends that uh, we had before we had kids like not they're not really our friends anymore because we have kids and and not like they're not our friends anymore, but like, oh, they had kids. we have a toddler so it's like we gotta take him home to go to bed you know so it's like easier to just have it at our house and whatever so anyway i think it's just going to be my wife and son and i and we'll uh cheer very loudly
0: i hope that you do and i hope that it goes well for kansas city coming up on sunday so Next week or in two weeks, we'll see you. We'll be talking football and basketball, obviously, in a big way on the next episode of the Keeper of the Games podcast. Thank you for liking, sharing, and subscribing to the show. We really appreciate the support, CogSports.com, and, of course, the audio in all those different places. Thank you so much for being a part of our journey. Tommy, for our beloved audio listeners, who can find the CogPod on Twitter, at CogPod. How can they find you on Twitter?
1: Yep, you can always find me on Twitter, at Tweets from Tommy.
0: And I am at BECrips, B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S on Twitter. We'll see you next week on the Keeper of the Games podcast. Maybe. Take we care. hope. We hope <laughs> we see you <laughs> next week. We
1: hope we do. Take care, guys.
0: You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Cogpod. That's K-O-G Pod.